0: Welcome to the Alternative Tones Podcast. Today we're talking about Modest Mouse album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News, and Neutral Milk Hotel's album, In the Airplane Over the Sea, and how the instruments and arrangements in those albums compare to current popular music, past popular music, and how they set themselves apart. So let's first dive into Modest Mouse, good news for people who love bad news this first song we're gonna listen to a chunk of is called bukowski it's named after a famous german-american writer charles bukowski he's known for his dark subjects and realism he writes a lot about drug use alcoholism working class struggles prostitution a lot he's he's highly regarded as like a lot of people don't like him because they think his writing is too vulgar too upfront um but a lot of people also like him for that reason so let's listen to this chunk of the song So that was Bukowski by Modest Mouse. If you were listening closely, you would have heard banjo, accordion, uh, double bass, the, like an upright bass, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and drums. Now, what I thought kind of suck out was usually for a band that's considered indie alternate rock. um, It's not... It's really rare to have banjo in it, one. And two, double bass. And the fact that those two specifically are paired together is also very uncommon. And even more uncommon is a bowed double bass, meaning they're playing it with a bow, whereas like in most music since since jazz the the bass would have been plucked with your fingers um and yeah that was that style was popular with jazz and since then it's kind of that's been like the standard but in this song it's bowed so that really stuck out to me the accordion on top of that so there's from what I'm seeing is there's a lot of like folk influences and maybe some southern influences. But then there's also the electric guitar, which kind of, I think, was what roots it in today's time. And also the, the drums, which are played with brushes, which is um, a more folk or jazz style, depending on how it's being played. There's a lot of old in this song and a lot of new. Have you guys ever heard, like, a song like this? Because from songs I've listened to, this is a song that I've honestly not really heard s- similar since. I mean,
1: the type of music that I listen to doesn't really incorporate these kinds of instruments, so it's definitely a different sound mm-hmm. than what I'm used to, but I together they work from what I heard. They, they really do work together pretty well.
0: Yeah. It's based off the lyrics. It's it's like, he's trying to shift blame onto different things like God society, um, Bukowski, the writer. And then at, at the end of it, he's kind of just like, ah, screw it. Um, So the whole song, it's like, it just sounds angry. But at the same time, it has that melancholy sort of feel that comes with folk. And his vocal style, um, uh, uh, Isaac Brock, he's the singer and the main writer. He's, He's not a good singer, but his voice... Is a really good fit for the type of music he makes. Because it's very. It's very talkative. Like he just kind of, It's like he rambles on and on. And he's he sounds like. Insane sometimes. But then when you read the lyrics. It's like. This guy's really. He's going crazy. He's just like angry with the world. Alright. So for this next Modest Mouse song. From Good News. For people who love Bad News is called this devil's workday and again there's banjo in it but aside from banjo uh the dirty dozen brass band is featured on it which is this it's this horn section that um was popular in the south a while ago and he got them to record on this album so let's take a look So this song what really stuck out to me is it's just banjo and a brass section and it's like so banjo is a very like nasally jarring sounding instrument and then the brass section is playing really they're like blasting and there's like the trombone and the trumpet kind of just like wailing in the background and the uh, the lyrics and vocals themselves are also really aggressive and cynical. The lyrics, when you read through them, there's like a theme of like, he's like claiming control over his life in like the worst way possible by like being an asshole, being nihilistic and cynical. Uh, some of these, some of the lyrics, there's like, I could buy myself a reason, I could sell myself a job, I could hang myself for treason, I am my own damn god. So he's like, he's a very sarcastic lyricist, and sometimes it's actually, it's like dark humor almost. Um, This other bit um, shows how he's like being spiteful, nihilistic, like he just is apathetic. So I ate the wedding cake till the whole damn thing was gone and I'm gonna drown the ocean. Now ain't none of that so wrong. Um, and actually the lyric that was cut off in the excerpt is, um, all those people that you know floating in the river are logs. So he's just like upfront about not caring, I guess. What do you guys think about the instrumental arrangement with the music you listen to, is there often horn sections like that? Or if there is, are they always are they ever paired with just a single instrument and vocal like this song is? Because this song is literally very sparse with the arrangement, and that's why it sticks out, I think. I think um, listening to this, how it has the horns,
2: is definitely very unique, and you want to see that a lot in any music today, really. Because, like, you combine different instruments where most bands and most music today is all kind of traditional or using the same similar instruments and upbeat, whereas this group kind of goes away from that and has their own little style.
1: Yeah, like, I, I agree with that. Like, most music today is made electronically, so you really don't hear instruments like this being used in songs that are like played on the radio Or even songs that are on Like full length albums in today's music world So It's definitely different but Again with the last song that you played It, it works especially with The lyrical content I think
0: Yeah I, I agree with what both of you said It's What I find when I list. I've been listening to this band since Elementary school Because my dad just Happened to buy a CD just because he does that sometimes he just like sees a CD and he's like, "I'll buy this without knowing anything about it and then me me and, me and him just both like fell in love with this album and the textures in every song it fits with the story that the words are saying like the band like how I was saying the band the banjo and the brass band the texture they create is like jarring loud. Obnoxious, upfront, aggressive, and it all just comes together like a painting. Alright, so this next song is called The View. It's one of their more pop sounding songs. So let's take a listen. Mm-hmm. All right, so that excerpt was pretty short, but with what I want to talk about in it is what stands out to me. So how often do you listen to a band that made their own instruments in the recording? Hardly ever. Like I
1: No. <laughs> I can't think of any artist that I listen to that has done something like that. So I can't say I can't really name any artists. Yeah. yeah
0: so a lot of um well, you, well the listeners will see as we go on to the next episodes what a lot of producers do now is with synthesizers where they'll make their own sound and such with computers and all that. but for this song the uh the keyboard you're hearing, the organ sort of electronic sound was actually an instrument that the band made themselves out of... The casing is like suitcases, like old suitcases. You can see it in a... They played on Letterman in 2006. David Letterman. And um, in the liner notes on the album, it's called the Hend X 3000. I don't know what it's in reference to or anything. I could barely find any information online aside from people on a like reddit or some forum trying to figure out what it was so I'm guessing it's like in some lost interview they said that the instrument was made themselves but also when you see it, it just looks like a hunk of junk but uh, that's what stood out to me that they actually used and performed live with this homemade instrument and I don't I haven't honestly I haven't heard any band do something like that. Um, besides, it's just like playing instruments with a different... Like playing a an electric guitar with a bow. But that's not making your own instrument. That's just playing an instrument wrong. Um, <laughs> Alright, so let's listen to this next excerpt called Blame It on the Tetons. It is probably their softest song. And the singer's voice is it's almost unrecognizable because he's well let's just listen and you'll you'll hear it right so it sounds like a completely different band that's what i find a lot of fans of modest mouse like about the band a lot and it's actually kind of like a meme in the the fan base where if you show up to their concert and there's like 30 microphones on stage, they're like, this is going to be a really good concert because they're going to have like a bunch of different instruments for different songs. Um, so this song, there's a fiddle, which makes it sound really fol- folky, and then acoustic guitar. And an electric bass. The reason I chose this song for the selection, although the instrumental arrangement isn't anything really crazy. It's more about the diversity in the band's sound. Which I think is super important for alternative bands to make them stick out. Like, you'll, we'll see with Panic at the Disco, they start with a completely different sound to how they sound now, or how he sounds, since it's one guy now. Um, <laughs> and then with this band, it's like one song, uh, Isaac Brock is like slamming his guitar on the floor and screaming his lungs out. And then this song, he's like softly cooing into a microphone while plucking guitar strings. This might... it. This actually might be my favorite song on the album just because it's like ear candy to me. Do you guys know of any other bands, popular or otherwise, that switch up their sound so extremely?
2: Um, One for me is uh the, the band Shinedown. They do it here and there. I know there's one album they had the song Call Me, which is a slower, more kind of sad type like vibe. And then two songs after that would be like The Sound of Madness, which is a full-on, head-pounding song, which you would have never expected to follow such so like a more softer song.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of I mean, that's kind of, like, an industry standard is you'll have, if you have a complete album, there'll be one or two songs in there that are, like, ballads or softer or, like, sadder or introspective, Um, but it's usually, like, it's kind of the switch from, like, from a normal song in the album to the sad song, is like really, like you don't really see the connection sometimes, but uh, with this band, it's like you can still see how it makes how you can still hear the modest mouse in it. So, a lot of alternative bands, when they change up their sound, they still maintain their own identity, like you can hear that with say Nirvana. So their first album, Bleach, was like, people call it grunge, but when you listen to it, it, it almost feels like punk rock. And then their second album, Nevermind, is like super highly produced. The songs are more complex. The melodies are louder and soaring as ever. And then the third album is like, they kind of pull back a bit and they go back to that a more lo-fi sound and it's all very diverse but they still sound like Nirvana Um, so for this next excerpt it's the song is called Black Cadillac uh, Black Cadillacs and the note I wrote in uh my notes is this song makes me want to break stuff so let's take a listen All right, so that was a short excerpt, but I think from that small bit, you can get the idea. Um, But the lyric he said was like, uh, and I was done with all the circling around. The song's just kind of like, it's him saying, I don't care anymore. I'm going to do what I want. And um, I mean, everyone has a song like that that they listen to. And for me, it's just, it's this song. But, in the liner notes, something really stuck out to me. Something, Isaac Brock, the singer, it says he played something called a Freak Beak on this track. And, after a lot of looking on the internet, I, again, I couldn't find anything except for a forum where someone asked, What is a Freak Beak? in reference to this song. And someone responds, it's a vocal style where the singer kind of sings, half sings, half yells, um, like off beat, off key a little, kind of like wailing. And when you listen carefully in that song, you can hear it. It's, he's singing a backup vocal where he's just he's singing the same lyric but he's kind of singing it really on the back of the beat and kind of just very low effort and I don't I never I never see that in music other than music that is also alternative where they're going for that like messy kind of sound so this, this made me curious to hear about, in your experience of listening to music, have you guys ever listened to a band or a song where they kind of did something that made you question, like, that's not very musical, or it kind of just sticks out as, like, that is wrong. But then when you keep listening to it, it kind of adds to the song itself. Like, for example, there's lo-fi music where they purposely make it sound like it was recorded on dirty vinyl and, like, with skips in it and stuff. But it, like, adds to the genre, I guess. I mean, the only
1: thing that I can think of is when artists use um, vocoders with their vocals. It just sounds like off-putting to me a little bit, but there are some songs out there that like it fits the tone that the song is going for or it fits within the instrumentation or the genre that the song itself is in. So I, I think that some artists use it where they don't need to and others use it and it really makes the song pop and stand out
0: like autotune yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, sort of i mean it's really just a a vocal effect that's
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's something
1: that i've noticed like on
0: like on the radio and stuff so obviously like t-pain is like the one who made that effect popular and he cranked it up to the max um but it fits within his music and then there's there's current artists like uh who use it almost exclusively, like Travis Scott. Like when I'm like scrolling through social media and some like hip hop account is like posting about relatively unknown artists and I hear them using the effect, there's like a fine line between using it like really badly and using it really well. And so with this Freak Beak thing, I think they straddled that line perfectly. Alright, so for this, this is the last track on the album. Good news for people who love bad news. It's called The Good Times Are Killing Me. It's a very fitting song for the end of this album. It's very like big and dramatic and um let's take a
2: listen.
0: Alright, so that was early in the song before it gets real big. But, um, when you look at the liner notes, this is the one with the most stuff in it. So there's a a baritone guitar, which is like a normal guitar, but, um, lower. It's down a, a fourth, um, if you know about theory. Uh, Music theory. I personally can't hear it, but it's not usually an instrument that you add to stick out. It's more you add it for depth in a song. And I can hear the depth in in the song. So there's so much going on in this song. It's very easy to miss. There is a very obvious instrument that I thought was kind of weird. There's a tin whistle in it. And you could hear it kind of like warbling back and forth between notes. It's kind of like jangling in your ears, which I feel like, although I haven't done LSD, Coke, or Math, the song references them, and with their history of music, I'm guessing they did those musical details to kind of give the impression of, like, being high, I guess. Because it's very, like... When I listen to the song it's just really hypnotic like the the bass drum and the the organ and everything the instrument uh there's a pump organ in it in this track which is a free reed organ generates sound as air flows past a vib vibrating piece of thin metal in a frame the piece of metal is called a reed so a lot of songs now are using electronic organ effects but like up until like a decade ago it was actual organs like this the pump organ I think sticks out especially to me because of that reed aspect it adds a really like folk kind of sound like if you heard it in a different context you could easily think you're like in an organ store and there's like some old lady sitting on the piano bench playing it practicing (laughs) for church um but but this this band they they make it blend they take all these weird wacky instruments and they make it fit somehow and also noted as additional instrumentation i'm not sure what instrumentation i couldn't find anywhere but the flaming lips contributed to this song uh they're a alt-rock indie sort of band started in the 80s um i think their most well-known album is yoshimi battles the pink robots so i I noted i noted the flaming lips thing because i kind of see this parallel between rap or like hip-hop rap and Indie music, uh, alt rock music, They, they use collaboration and like features as a way to support each other and like share fans, kind of. And I think that's a big part of alternative music culture. Another collaborating band is the Rising Star Fife and Drum Band. If you look them up on YouTube, they actually do a performance for uh, African American heritage uh, ceremony or something. Um, they play traditional African American country blues, and when you look up this band, you can see how that that regional influence affects this album. There's a lot of influence from like Southern music tradition and folk tradition like with the accordion earlier the fiddle the organ would you listen to this album on your own just like as entertainment i think i would like to change it up here and there because my
2: video like that change and i feel like they have a good variety to them and it would make a a good time experience a little more a little different taste into it
1: yeah i would definitely um give it a shot. I mean, I haven't listened to the album, and I've I've actually never heard of them before, all of this. So, I would definitely have to check them out, and I'd give it a listen. So,
0: yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Personally, that's my favorite album by them. Uh, Another great album by Modest Mouse. I think it came out in the 90s. It's called The Lonesome Crowded West. It's not as diverse as this album, But it, I mean, there's still some diversity of sound in there, but it's, it's really, um, it's an interesting listen, if you have the time. Alright, so this, this next band is called Neutral Milk Hotel. The album's called In the Airplane Over the Sea. came out in 1998. Um, this album is kind of, it has a cult following. It went by relatively unknown in the 90s. Since it came out it's always gotten high praise but in the 90s when it first came out it was very under the radar. I know when I looked into it they said on 4chan it kind of blew up through there and then spread from to like other music websites like Pitchfork. This is one of the most unique albums I've ever heard. So let's just let's just take a listen to the title track in the airplane over the sea. This song has something I've never ever seen before and I haven't seen since. At first when I listened to this song, I thought there was a theremin in it. Do you guys know what a theremin is? No. Oh. No. no. Okay. So a the theremin is this this instrument you play I I think it's magnetic fields. Um so there's like a a horizontal coil and then there's a vertical pole. And so you don't touch the instrument when you play it. You just turn it on and then you stick your hands in these magnetic fields or whatever kind of fields they are. And the way you move your hand changes the pitch, the volume, and so on. And it sounds very um, whistly, kind of like a cartoonish ghost sound. I think the, the most famous use of it is in like the Twilight Zone theme. Like that old TV show. It's a very recognizable sound. So when I first listened to this song, that's what I thought it was. But then when I looked into it, I, uh, I found a video of them playing it live on stage. And this guy pulls out a saw, like a handsaw. And he puts it on his leg and he bends it. And he starts playing it with a bow. (laughs) <laughs> it looks insane and I never even consider that working but it sounds a lot like a theremin and um, when I looked farther into it apparently it was a popular folk instrument and it was in like vaudeville a lot in like the 20s late 1800s and uh, basically the way they play it is they bend it in an S shape and they bow the flat part of the blade, like, in the middle of the S, and they change pitch by, like, bending the end of it slightly, and it changes pitch and stuff. It kind of just blew my mind when I saw that. And you can find videos on YouTube of, like, people who exclusively play it and, like, demoing it and, like, talking about the history of it and stuff. It's really interesting. After this excerpt in the song, there's also a horn arrangement, there's trumpet, uh, flugelhorn, trombone, euphonium, saxophone, so with this song, I can hear a lot of influence, uh, like I said earlier, like vaudevillian sort of stuff, because it's, you almost feel like you're in New Orleans, like just listening to one of those street bands, playing like a tub bass and stuff. And the, the singer and songwriter, um, Jeff Mangum, he's actually from New Orleans. So when I found that out, I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. I don't know exactly, like, your both your entire music taste, but I don't know if you've ever, like, listened to a song and you're like, oh, that's an interesting sound or whatever. Or you think it's one thing, but then when you see them perform it live or you look into it, and you found out it was something completely different or you know something like that. I can't really think of a
1: of a time where I was like listening to something and no I don't think so.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I when I heard that it <laughs> I was just like I'm still like when I listen to it I'm like how is this even possible? So for this next track, it's called Holland 1945, referencing uh, World War II, uh, specifically Anne Frank. Anne Frank lived um, in Holland during Nazi occupation, and in a lot of interviews, Jeff Mangum has said that Anne Frank's diary heavily influenced his album, and he, it quote, made him cry for three days, kind of put in... To the ed- edge of his sanity because he said he like didn't know anything about the world or history so he decided to pick up probably the worst book to pick up if you want to keep your sanity a lot of his songwriting is inspired by his dreams you can hear it in his earlier stuff it's like it's almost like childish the lyrics but then obviously Anne Frank's diary is not at all childish and you can see how that reflected in his lyrics where he's kind of looking at these awful events through the scope of childhood innocence so let's take a listen
2: two, one, two, three, four.
0: all right so what's the first thing you guys notice about that or what's the first thought you have about that excerpt?
2: To me, it sounds kind of like old fashioned in a way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I don't know how to put it. It just sounds like older music before like the 90s and stuff. How it kind of like traditional guitar and like a little bit of drum intro before they like, start singing. It just gives me that old traditional sense to it. How about you, Mike? Mm-hmm. To me, what I noticed, like, immediately
1: was that it sounded distorted. Like, the instrumentation, like, within, like, five seconds of the excerpt, it sounded distorted. I was like, whoa.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so this is... It's not, like, heavy metal, where the guitars are, like, screeching, like they're being murdered. Um, But (laughs) it still has... It's it's a kind of a different kind of distortion. It's like really warm, but it's still really loud. As a person going to school for um, music, I want to like produce music. Um, I wanted to know how they recorded not just this track where it's most noticeable, but the entire album. Because being that it was an indie band, indie label, they made it in a guy's house and they could barely afford it. Um, So the way they achieved that sound was they used this kind of old... I don't know if the microphone was old, but the way it was designed was old. So um, in, like, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe... I mean, they still make tube amps today, but um, the way amplifiers used to work was there were these glass tubes in it, and the... I'm not sure exactly how it worked but it added a certain character to the sound that a lot of musicians to this day try to get like recreate digitally and some people still buy tube amps and stuff just because it's more realistic to the actual sound. Um, this was recorded with a microphone with a glass tube in it and basically the way a distortion is made through these mics, um, and amps is you just turn the signal up so high that it, it starts to get distor- distorted, which is where the word, where distortion came from in like guitars and stuff. Um, so with acoustic guitar usually is never distorted unless you're listening to al- alternative music, um. They placed a microphone so close to the acoustic guitar that it naturally distorted when they were recording it. And they did that with most of the instruments. And they also used compression. So compression is where you take all the uh, lower in volume sounds and you bring them higher and you take all the really loud sounds and you bring them down. Um, and they used a lot, a lot, a lot of it, which is why, like, even when you have the volume turned down, the song is still, like, loud and, like, hectic sounding, because just the, it's bouncing around in your ears like crazy, and then they also maxed out the volume on a cassette tape, which I guess, obviously, I'm a, I'm a Gen Z kid, so I have no idea how... That causes distortion but it does the whole al- I I saw some review of the album and it's like this is one of the most distorted albums ever recorded and when you listen to it it's like yeah I can see that even though you when you listen to it you don't really think distortion except for this track and then when it comes to the lyrics this is where I was saying how he's like looking at these terrible events like a child would kind of The only girl I've ever loved was born with roses in her eyes. But then they buried her alive one evening, 1945, with jester's sister at her side. And only weeks before the guns, all came and rained on everyone. Now she's a little boy in Spain, playing pianos filled with flames. On empty rings around the sun, I'll sing to say my dream has come. So he's kind of just like singing about the world ending, kind of. Really vivid imagery, especially the little boy in Spain, playing pianos filled with flames. Every time I listen to the song, I get that image in my head. Do you guys know of any albums or songs that were super inspired by, like, dreams or historical events or uh, anything like that? I can't really... trying to think, but, like, I can't really think of...
1: And, like, I know that, like, obviously I...
0: I was a lot of music, but, like, nothing comes to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it's almost like he has a crush on Anne Frank which kind of sounds creepy but he taught he's talked about his dreams where he's like imagining Anne Frank being like the love of his life and stuff but a lot of alternative music they the songs are inspired by like obscure mythology obscure historical figures or very Mm. relevant historical figures I just thought it. it's not very common. There's probably thousands of songs based off of World War II, but uh, specifically based off of Anne Frank I haven't seen. And I haven't... Having just one book affects you so much that you make this entire album is... Um, it's insane to think of the he just was a really creative guy. All right, this this next excerpt is actually the end of one track and the beginning of another. So on this album, almost all the tracks except for I think two of them, they transition seamlessly between each other. So it's like when you listen if you listen to the album all the way through, it's like it's almost like one really long song or something. So let's take a listen. Ghost and Untitled. So this song, I think, it had some weird things going on with it, instrumentally. So there's a fuzz bass in it, so this entire album, there's just, it's fuzz bass after fuzz bass after fuzz bass. Uh, so fuzz bass, it started as kind of a gimmicky thing in the 50s. Um, in the '90s, it became a staple of alt rock, though like it was used in uh, with Nirvana's music, Nine Inch Ales, Radiohead, Alice in Chains, like especially grunge, um, fuzz bass was huge. Uh, basically, fuzz bass is overdriving a the signal from a bass guitar so it gets that distortion effect it changes the timbre which is like the texture of the, the voice of the instrument it adds higher overtones uh increases sustain so if you play a single note it holds longer and louder it it breaks up the sound it it sounds like a growl almost so for the for the 90s when this was recorded that's In the genre of rock, that wasn't uncommon. But what made it stick out was it's bowed, which I've heard of, like, Led Zeppelin. Jimmy Page played guitar with a bow a few times. But playing a bass, an electric bass with a bow, was kind of, I haven't heard of that. And to add fuzz on top of that, I think... kind of crazy it's very it's a risk but uh to me it worked and then the other thing at the end of ghost which was the first part there was um a zanzithophone zanzithophone which is it's this plastic digital instrument it looks like a like a toy saxophone but you blow into it and it It's almost like a MIDI controller, sort of. You can, like, play different sounds. You can kind of hear it at the end. It's playing this long held note. I couldn't find any other recordings that used it. Besides some guy on YouTube, like, demoing it. And it honestly, it sounds really crappy. But with this album, they kind of... take crappy sounds and make it sound good somehow. And then the beginning of untitled which was the second part there's bagpipes which are like the devil's instrument i hate bagpipes but for the for that song it's like the beginning of it is like almost like a a party or something it's just really like happy sounding and there's like a lilt to it and that bagpipe just blasting through it is like it's almost like a how bipolar people have, like, those manic states where they're, like, extremely, extremely high on dopamine and stuff. Like, they just feel amazing for no reason. That's what it kind of, that's the feeling it gives me. Well, first of all, (laughs) I want to know how much music you hear besides, like, Irish and Scottish folk music that uses bagpipes. Because I bet you can't think of a single one, because I know I can't. And two, just overall, what do you guys think of the sound of this band? Like, do you like the sound? Do you think it's too distorted? Would you listen to it? Would you, um, do you think the lyrics are interesting? I mean, the arrangement
1: of the instruments is definitely interesting and kind of experimental. Um, which is something that, personally, I, this is not something that I would like. Listen to, but you know I would definitely like with all the songs that you've you've played, I would definitely give this one a shot and listen to it so and i think I think the lyrics too that you mentioned they're incredibly like vulnerable and honest, and that's also what I like about music in general, so
2: yeah, for me, I'd definitely give it a shot it's definitely a little more out there on my taste Not, nah, that's not really but I'd give it a shot just to see if I could get into it a little more find a few songs that stand
0: out above the rest yeah this is when I first heard this album I think I first listened to it like two years ago and I I didn't like it um but then like a year ago so like a year after that I listened to it again, but that time I just like laid down and listened to the whole thing without any other distraction, and I like fell in love with it. And for like six months after that, it was the only thing I listened to. Um, it's a it's an album that like you have to approach with an open mind. Um, it's not really the type of album where you just put it on shuffle because although it's not like one complete story there's definitely like themes and imagery that are just lost in translation if you don't listen to it straight through um like beginning to end they don't they've made some music since then but they're very they're very you see this a lot with indie artists artists who are like super 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 indie um it's almost like they don't want people to to listen to their music they they release they've released one or two albums since then but in very few places like it's not on apple music spotify or anything it's not on any major platform you can find it on youtube if you know what to search and when you listen to them it's like lost recording like old recordings of songs from their previous albums and stuff Or just like, I remember there was like one or two songs. It was almost like a mashup of their older songs. It was kind of weird. And also the Jeff Mangum, um, didn't react well to getting a lot of attention. He has like no internet presence at all. He doesn't like people recording at his shows when he does shows, um. It's weird. It's a weird band. It's a weird band, but great album. I suggest everyone listens to it just because it's... You'll hear things you never heard before. Right, so that concludes this episode. Um, On paper, a lot of what alt-rock does makes no sense on paper. The the instruments, they shouldn't fit together, but when I first discovered alt-rock, it came off as jarring at first listen. The screaming of Isaac Brock and the introspective critical lyrics catch casual listeners off guard they caught me off guard it probably scares some people honestly it's just like it's things that people don't talk about and there's also just the childlike wonder and ambition of in the airplane over the sea which can be shrugged off as sounding weird or stupid or childish but i think what separates the two bands from the rest of the pack are these very things the huge array of instruments and influences that they use all right so that was the end of our first episode of the alternative tones podcast next episode we'll be talking about panic at the disco and our third episode we'll be talking about suicide voice